welcome to Bombshells and Blue Shells, the podcast spin-off of the website bombshellsandblueshells.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Alex. And this is our final Grimfest episode. Sunday. Sunday. So if you've listened to the other two, we did Thursday and Friday combined. We did Saturday and this is the last day. And we left off Saturday with the best of intentions. We were going to get up super early and be there for the half 10 screening day, the the first film of the day, um, Dead Dicks. Looked really good. Yeah, super hyped for that film. Yeah, uh, Canadian film, uh, meant to be, it was kind of comparisons to uh, Dave Made a Maze, which is another Grimfest film that we Absolutely loved. So good. So creative. Solid favourite. Yeah. So we were like, yep, leave, get home, sleep, sleep some more. Get back in nice and early, ready for what, half ten? Half ten. Yeah, for dead dicks. That unfortunately did not happen. Did it hell. We got in around two o'clock. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, we, we got in kind of mid-afternoon. We had some food and stuff, so we oh, missed... So, oh, the next day? I was going to say, I don't think we got in at half two in the morning. No. Well, half, uh, yeah. half one, we got home. Yeah, I feel like we stayed at the Lion's Den far too long enjoying yeah. the conversation when we should have been at home sleeping. I'm pretty sure we stayed for the full runtime of the last film and could have easily watched it and or just gone home. Absolutely. (laughs) So we did not end up getting in on Sunday till a little bit later on. Uh, We're going to see if we can find Dead Dicks somewhere else. Uh, There's been no release date as of yet. So unfortunately, we've just got to hold out for that one. It's our own stupid fault. But unfortunately, we cannot stay awake for every moment of every day. No. That is just a fact. So, we started off our Grimfest Sunday with um, a 2.20 film, the English premiere of I See You. Um, this is a US and UK kind of co-production, I think. I believe that the director might be British, or Adam Randall, uh, but I think this film was like his American film. Um, I think this is me remembering from a long time ago. Yes, he is British. So he's British, but this is an American film. So he's gone overseas for it. (laughs) What was this film about? So I See You um, was kind of a multi-strand narrative kind of film like there was a couple of different bits going on so um there's a couple uh and their son so married couple and their son uh living in this big beautiful american house i had a lot of house envy looking at that house um the wife has uh sorry the wife has cheated on the husband prior to the film opening and things so there's a lot of tension in the household and things like that um so this is jackie uh, played by helen hunt so quite a big name cast sort of thing um and her husband greg who is the lead investigator in a child abduction case so that's quite pivotal to what's going on and things um but there seems to be something going wrong in their house that's putting their son in danger. So it starts off quite innocuous, you know, like a few things going missing or the TV turning itself on and things like that. So you built up to this supernatural presence um, and it kind of... Oh, shit. I know what film this is. <laughs> Continue. Um. Yeah, kind of leads into a very different sort of uh, plot line after that. So, like, that initial plot line of the the mother kind of worrying about 
her own sanity, really. Kind of like what's happening in her house that seems quite supernatural. I don't think she was ever worried about her sanity. It was more about the worry of her son playing games with her. Yeah. Yeah. I think she ever questioned her own sanity. No, but I think it, it made her paranoid. <laughs> and obviously her son knows that um, she's cheated on the dad and things like that. So it's causing that tension. She thinks he's acting out by doing these strange things. Uh, but yeah, I, it's one of those, it's really interesting and really good, but I think delving too much into what comes after that, that's it's almost just like first act, isn't it? Is the family drama of it all. And then it goes very, very differently. Uh, uh, completely off the wall. Um, I feel like it might get a little bit spoilery, but I think maybe the, the, yeah, maybe I, I to think the... as soon as you introduce the overall concept to it, yes, it becomes spoilery. Yeah, I think without revealing because it's almost like there's three different things going on in this film. Um, there is a kind of so we've got our main. Um, main family the harpers uh we've got jackie greg and their son connor um connor is played by jedia lewis who i recognize and couldn't realize why i recognize but he was in the babysitter as well with uh the new love of my life samara weaving Mm. oh wow yeah the kid uh their son boyfriend no their son really yeah okay um and then Again, not to go too far into it, but we get kind of a secondary storyline that begins that's about something called frogging, but frogging with a PH. Um, And this is the whole concept of staying in someone's house without them knowing about it. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of different thing. I mean, there's been a lot of like urban stories, urban myths Mm. about frogging. Recently, yeah, I'm surprised like people it's taken setting... so long to get to horror That's films true. because of the concept. There like was always that are famous setting up their video cameras and stuff, and yeah, there was always the famous one. I think it was in China or Japan where someone yeah. came down because they'd been losing food or something like that, and they'd set up a camera. Someone came down from the loft. Mm. Went into the fridge, got the food out, and went upstairs again. Yeah, reset. And I think it's, it's a, I think it's a really good horrifying concept. Mm. Um, a violation of what is familiar to you on a, yeah. on a daily basis, and then I think it, it could be so much of a really good story. Oh God, yeah. There's elements of this that I think are great. There's there's elements of this that I think really really encapsulate that horrifying nature of somebody being in your house Mm. and you being unaware to the point where you you do not believe that or or you start to believe that something else is happening like like you're more likely to think you're being extraordinary shit haunted than someone's living in your loft space or something like it just doesn't seem to it's in your head it's in your head and your son's acting out. There's, like... certain, there's certain things in this film where it's completely over the top and completely yeah. unnecessary. Um, I kind of love it. <laughs> well, I think I feel like that's the point of this film. Um, I wish they'd been braver and just mm. gone with the subtlety aspects of it because for yeah. me, that really carried a lot more weight. In yes, a horror genre. There, there is like, and then the reveal, and then the reveal, and guess what? Then more reveal. Yeah. But I think that, especially like I say, with some of the ones we've said about that uh, maybe warranted more of a short film concept than they did a feature length, this definitely held up. So it was 97 minutes and it held up every last part of that for me. Like it kept doing things that made sure that my interest was never kind of elsewhere. But I did so... I I did really enjoy it. Like I said, I don't want to go any further into the concept. I feel like even just saying frogging is a little bit of a spoiler twist, but I think without mentioning that, there's not much to mention. 
And that also brought me to my second revelation of another cast member that I spent the entire time staring at. So it's Alec and Mindy are the two froggers. And Alec is Owen Teague, who is Patrick in It. The the bully, not the main bully, um, the one who dies in the tunnel. Really? Mm -hmm. But is also in It Chapter (laughs) 2. Really? Yeah. I mean, has okay. it been long enough that I can spoil it chapter two on this one? No. No? But Maybe. yeah, he, he has a part in that as well. So the bully who has like the deodorant can that he's using as a flamethrower. Ah, wow. Um, okay. Yeah? No. Nope. Um, but yeah, that led to my second revelation of Owen Teague, uh, the actor being Patrick from It, the bully. As a kind of general grim best showing, I I thought this was something a bit different and a bit new, and it was really really well produced. Like the direction, the kind of cinematography, you could tell this this one had a bit of a budget behind it. Like it it knew how to use its money and things like that. And I yeah. House envy, pure house envy, but I uh, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I thought it was great. I think the concept was certainly better than the mm. delivery, and that isn't a massive, massive, massive criticism. I, no. I did enjoy what was on the screen. I did enjoy what was delivered to us. I just, the frogging concept to me, it's quite terrifying, and I think yeah. it would only take a little bit more subtlety rather than the in-your-face brashness mm. and twists and turns that this storyline took to yes. really be quite terrifying if you went with a paranormal activity kind of aspect to it. Well, that's, Such yeah. simplicity results in a lot more horror. And I feel like the frogging storyline has the ability to do that almost suggesting the supernatural whilst based in the real world. Well, I think that's that's what was so intriguing about it was it led into what could have been like your paranormal activity, mm. haunted house sort of film um, with these little things happening, these kind of incidents that are causing um, Jackie to think that something is wrong with her son or something is just going wrong in general is this her punishment for you know as her son kind of says destroying the family with what she did and things but then it it takes a twist away from the supernatural and not a lot of films do that a lot of films will start off with something being explained away by the normal and then turn it supernatural but to see it go the other way is really interesting to see it have a true logical underpinning um, is a really kind of fun way to deal with it instead. Yeah, I think it is. I almost think that had I watched Paranormal Activity and the final scene being something a little bit more based in reality would Mm. have had a greater effect. Yeah, I think with that one, what was happening was harder to justify. Like, you can justify stuff going missing in the house and like things you know kind of turning on and off by themselves with a a non-supernatural presence but like waking up with bite marks I mean yeah no actually that would be really creepy if you just saw that someone had dropped down from the loft and that's what I mean (laughs) just bitten her in her sleep you you think it's true the the realist the the real approach to that or the, the real yeah. delivery. Well, maybe like the hair being pulled by an invisible force and things. But yeah, like the That's foot- only like the final scene. No, no, but like the footprints and all that lot. Yeah, that could have been a person and that would have been. If that was a human footprint. Toby's like an actual had a thing. Greater impact, I would have said. Yeah. Toby's just a dude living, frogging in their loft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I could go. I could go for it. Is it a, a cheap ripoff? Can we sell this? Hollywood? Ho- Hollywood? Hello? Hello. You call? You call us? Pamela activity is what we'll call it. Pamela activity. With frogging. Frogonormal activity. Frogonormal activity. Sold. Done. Yeah, I think without 
without going into spoiling this film, like say standout cast kind of thing, like they got some big names. Helen Hunt is a, an Oscar winner. Um, John Tenay, Tenay uh, was just in a season of True Detective, I think, yeah, I think like the he, latest one. He struck me as TV detective. Yeah. But now he's a film detective. He's in film and he's a detective. <laughs> Is that not great? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then like a lot of others from kind of uh, horror films that have been out recently that have done well. So it, it's kind of, this was maybe more of a, maybe along with um, the premiere, the other premiere that's coming later in our Sunday debut and things like Darling one of the ones that had a bit more backing that maybe you would see more of a cinematic release of and things like that. It felt less festival and more kind of mainstream. It certainly felt like that. I mean, it probably a shudder, I would think. Yeah, I would imagine it'll be picked up by something like that. Sugar or Netflix, mm. I would have thought. Similar to uh, the... What was the one with the house last year? Um, with the woman, woman in the window. Oh, the witch in the window. Witch in the window. That Shudder. Yeah, a lot of that, the that, ones we saw last yeah. year are on Shudder now, and, and things, things like that. That I one think, was amazing. Yeah, I think it's got is that kind of vibe for release. Mm. I think I can see it, but it has no release date as of yet. So I can see it happening sometime in the future and things, but as of right now. There is nothing. Just gotta wait a while for some of these films. Yeah. Tags are not afraid. Only came out on Shudder. Well, that's very two true. Two weeks ago. That's very true. And that was fantastic. Oh, so beautiful. And we saw that 13 months ago now. Yeah. So it it takes a while for these deals to go through. But I think I would enjoy seeing this again. I think um, the one weird piece of advice I would give this to maybe have another release um, kind of if it did cinematic or anything, if it re-releases kind of thing outside of the festivals, change the name. I was looking up facts on this and there are so many ICUs or versions thereof. It becomes a little bit like, you know, like calling your film like Dead Night and it's like, which Dead Night do you want? The 1982, the 1974? Like, it becomes, that's not a thing. I'm just making stuff up. But yeah, it, it's a little bit too uh, generic. I think it needs a better name. Uh, I just, I'm not entirely convinced. I know why it's called that. Yeah, I also, I don't see the purpose. But it doesn't, I mean, there doesn't necessarily always have to be a purpose to the title in that way, but I think you could make it something a lot more unique to this story and then it's easier to um, Google it. Yeah, I would agree. Getting to ratings, um... I gave this a four. I gave this a strong four. I did really enjoy it. Didn't quite get into my fives for me. I know I've been throwing them out there uh, on some of our other films, but this got a strong four. What did it get from you? I feel like it got a four slash five. In my notes, you gave this a five. Yeah. I enjoyed the concept I really mm. enjoyed the concept more than perhaps the delivery. And it may have been the one time that I overestimated what I should have given a film. Mm. If I was being hypercritical, I'd have given it a four. You'd have gone back down to a four? Yeah, I'd have given it a four because I love the concept but wasn't necessarily there with the delivery. Right. I really like the idea of the the... Frogging. Yeah, I think it's such I a strong like concept, a isn't really it? Really good story. Yeah. Mm. No, I 100% agree. What came after I see you then? Harpoon. Harpoon. So this was Harpoon's northern premiere, um, and it's di- it's directed by Rob Grant, who is a Grimfest regular. He did. Alive last year, um, Fake Blood in 2017, which was a documentary about a short film, he like 
a short film he was sent after screening Mon Ami, his uh, 2012 f- film, kind of about the responsibilities of horror directors. I think it was a, maybe a little bit of a disturbing short film that he was sent or something. Sounds super interesting, I know. Um, so we 100% need to see that at some point. He sounds like one that we need to keep an eye out for. I think Alive, unfortunately, was even one that we did quite similar last year where there was a few mornings missed because of work or sleepiness, and I think Alive was a, was a morning one. So this is our first Rob Grant film, even though he is Grimfest royalty, basically. <laughs> so do you want to explain what Harpoon is about? Yeah. Um, Harpoon is about three friends, two male, one female, who are from a quite wealthy background, albeit that it's a little bit mixed. Uh, One is from a wealthy background who no longer has wealth. One is from a very wealthy background who Mm. continues to have a lot of wealth. And one is from a non-wealthy background who has... Married, engaged, yeah. boyfriended, Just, yeah, boyfriended into but way wealth. Into wealth. I think um, all three are close friends and have a little bit of suggested love triangle going on, or certainly inferred mm. love triangle uh, at the start of the film, and they find themselves stranded on a boat. Yeah. Uh, out to sea with no facility for getting back. No. This film is about isolation. It's about a group of friends that have to endure each other Mm. through a a relatively long space of time in very close confines. Yeah. Three weeks, I think it is, in total that they spend on the boat. It certainly recall at least being 10 days yeah. before the first real kind of change in that. I think, I think there's um, it's some very interesting dynamics in the yes. film. Um, there's a lot of change in the relationships as you work through how they interact with each other, uh, how the boyfriend and girlfriend interact with each other, how the third wheel interacts with the girlfriend <laughs> and the boyfriend and yeah. so on and so forth. It's a very uh, kind of lock people in a room and see what kind of craziness will go on. Yeah. Lord, Lord of the Flies, but see, this is another horror boat, mo- boat movies. Told you. Okay, so yes. many boat movies. Um, but yeah, like Lord of the Flies, but instead of young children, it's three dickheads on a boat. <laughs> Because none of them are good, and it's it's purposeful, but none of them are good characters, and I think that's what makes it so interesting is to have three quite unlikable people as your only base of contact in this film makes it fun to watch because you care about the story overall, but you're kind of happy to see bad things happen to them most of the uh, time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, y- you are in no way supporting any one of these characters. No. So it's um, Richard. Richard is our very, very rich kind of, has possibly bought most of his relationships kind of guy. Like, he's a hothead. He's a real kind of arrogant piece of work, but he buys you gifts when he messes up. So the reason they're out on this boat journey is because he's messed up. He's um, accused his girlfriend, Sasha, and his best friend, Jonah, of having an affair, uh, which results in him severely pummeling the crap out of Jonah, like first scene done. Uh, And it turns out that they were just uh, conspiring to buy him a harpoon gun for his birthday. So hence the name Harpoon. And that's what leads him to apologise by buying lots of beer and things and taking them on his family's boat. And that's kind of where the crux of a lot of it comes from. Definitely another really kind of darkly funny film, I thought. Yeah, 100%. It really carried some weight um, when it got into the gore aspect of it. It was probably the closest thing we got to gore the entire weekend, I would say. Yeah, I think 
Save for a couple of short films. Yeah, not even, like, gore, but also just kind of, like, psychological torment and also just the gross things you have to do to survive in the middle of nowhere. You are in the middle of the ocean. So it's not necessarily gore as in, like, heads exploding. It's more just what they have to do is icky. (laughs) Yeah, I think any film with a desanguination, exsanguination Mm. of a... Seagull. Seagull, in order <laughs> to drink its blood. <laughs> Just gonna... In order to get the H2O out mm-hmm. of the blood. I, I just think, yeah, that that's a little bit gory. It's One last time. Be. <laughs> it's gotta be. Yeah. But that's it's kind of that amazing how... Um, to just take these three characters and really, you know, you've limited your cast, you've limited what you can do as far as anything else. You know, I mean, it's it, it's bottlenecked on this boat. There's there's only that location. There's only those three people, and yet it just works beautifully. Yeah, it almost had a uh, what's it twist at the end? What's his face? Shemalama Ding Dong twist at the end of it, and one of his. Better earlier twist. Yeah, not, not, not the village twist, twist. And not just nonsense. Yeah. I think that's that's a good uh, a good attribute of this film, mm. certainly. Then One they, that kept me awake. Yes. They take it places that you don't necessarily expect it to or know that it can. Like, it's such a, a smart concept and script to just have this, like, say, three characters who go through these kind of things. I do lie, though. There is one other, uh, not necessarily a character, so this kind of omnipresent uh, narrator, omnipresent uh, narrator, who is giving us little tidbits and things like that as we go through and kind of commenting on things. And it's almost, um, what's it? I can't even think of another example of it, but it's almost like when you're watching something and the person goes, and now I'm going to go fight the monster. And the narrator just comes in and goes, he did not fight the monster. <laughs> like He just kind of back talks what they're doing um, and tells us a little bit more. So like he starts off kind of saying about the different types of friendship. So uh, a friendship of... Steve Zissou has a similar thing, mm. doesn't it? What's that? Life Aquatic. Oh yeah, yeah. A similar kind of narration where it's like the narrator where... telling you the un- like the narrator already knows the story and is telling you that things are going to go wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. So he's like he goes through the different types of friendship. He's like a friendship of history, a friendship of this and stuff, yeah. and kind of a friendship of convenience and discusses like the different ways. Definitely on a some sort of fable. Well, they scale. they get into that though, don't they? They say about Jonah. Um, so it's kind of the idea of the Jonah and things. Uh, they have some discussion of uh, yeah. kind of folklore as far as fishing boats. So you shouldn't have you this shouldn't on have it. A redheaded you, woman. Yeah, well, you never have a, woman, a redhead. A redhead. Yeah. A banana skin. <laughs> and it, it's it it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's basically a cavalcade of errors. And yeah, and that's why everything goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the cynic in inside you goes, so we've looked at fables about seas, boats, and mm. said these are the worst things that could possibly happen. Let's make a story about it. It's almost like an improv. Yes. Here are the list of things that could go wrong. Let's write a story around about the things it going that could wrong. go wrong. But in fairness, they've done it really well. Oh, it's a they've really done it really well. Really tight script, really well put together. And um, the narrator himself is um, Brett Gelman. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, Brett. Oh, Brett, you'll know. Give me give me a second. So he is in Stranger Things Season 2 and 3, but what you'll know him from is Fleabag. Really? The American Husband. Oh, it's Brett Gelman, of course it is. <laughs> Brett Galvan, my good friend, Brett Galvan. I recognise the name now. Yeah, that's the narrator. He's got that voice, that really kind of like satirical, 
almost, I mean, not to take credit for Drywit as if that's only us, but it, yeah, he's got an American accent, but with all the Britishisms. Sarcastic <laughs> Yeah. And even in this, as just a floating voice, he manages to be that. Yeah, albeit he's that subtle in this that I didn't recognise it at all. There was something that, like you say, that back of the head, but it wasn't until I looked it up and went, of course, who else could it have been apart from him? But yeah, for once, I think he actually plays like the hero of the piece. The narrator's like the only nice person in this film. I'm I'm rooting for the narrator every time. (laughs) But yeah, no, I really did. I really enjoyed Harpoon and it's a really good example of what you can do with like a limited location, limited cast and things as long as your script and your concept is really strong. And that's what this was. Yeah, it was like... Aesop's Fables crossed with Donkey Punch and a better script. <laughs> yeah, a much better script than Donkey Punch. For Good me, Lord. For me, I think I gave it a four. You did. We we both uh, doubled down on a four. It's got fours. It, it wasn't, I, again, it's that thing of what do you give a five and things, and it didn't quite garner the same reaction that some of my fives did, but... I really, really enjoyed this. Um, There's no specific release date as of yet, but Arrow has picked this up. Oh, has it? So Arrow has picked this up and will hopefully release it soon because I do think this is almost, of all the ones that we've seen, so there's some Tales from the Lodge, Extraordinary, I'd recommend them to anyone, horror fans or not, because I think there's enough comedy in it that it keeps people going. But I think this is one I'd recommend to people that I know enjoy this kind of concept this sort psychological of, horror, horror yeah. isn't it really this more psychological and it's almost something that i think would be great to look at from a screenwriting point of view like showing it to people on how you don't need to overfill with exposition and you can use a narrator but in an interesting way instead of just a telling us the things that you couldn't be asked putting in the film and things like that, or reiterating mm, reiterating things that we've already seen in the film and stuff. So I really enjoyed this. This was a really good, solid four. Uh, then, after this, we moved into our 6.30 northern premiere of Rabid. We went for a beer at the Lion's Den between the two films. And this was the moment that Soska sisters arrived into Manchester, or into Grimfest, should I say. Mm -hmm. Probably not into Manchester. I don't think they flew in directly to the Great Northern. I don't think you can. But they arrived into the lion's den, and uh, Alex became somewhat (laughs) excited (laughs) at the sight of two women. Oh, really now? Um... Yeah, we we were having a pint and the Soska sisters arrived and they were brought to the bar by the lovely kind of team behind Grimfest. They ordered their screwdrivers and went off upstairs and I spent a lot of that time with the phrase just be normal spinning around my head. <laughs> just be normal, like... It's not the Q&A, it's not the signing. I knew I was going to go to the signing later on and I was going to meet them in that way. That's I really wanted to do that this weekend as a huge fan of their, of just them, but of a lot of their work as well. So when they walked into the bar, it's like, do not be that weirdo. Don't just sit there going, hello, I love you, because <laughs> you're going to try and meet them later and they're going to call security on you. So I restrained myself uh, and then we made sure to head our way over to the cinema for the northern premiere of their Cronenberg remake of Rabbit. Jen and Sylvia Soska, the Soska sisters, have done numerous films now like uh, Dead Hooker in a Trunk, American Mary, See No Evil 2, Vendetta, and they had the T is for Torture Porn uh, section in the ABCs of Death 2, yeah. And I've kind of 
geekily been following them for a lot of their career since writing a little bit of a segment about them in my uh, university dissertation on women in horror as symbol spectator and creator so they were in my creator section as two women kind of helming horror that is again often predominantly seen as a male directed you know so that's why I really love the f rating of Grimfest as well it makes it feel acknowledged you do so and um did get to meet them later on yes but firstly rabid we'll talk about the film um I haven't seen the original. I also have not seen the original. So I didn't think we had. uh, It's one of those, you kind of think, oh, well, should I? But at the same time, I'd like to let this one stand on its own. Um, We'd had some disappointing reviews, and I don't know if maybe that was due to clouding because of Cronenberg's original, and maybe people just didn't like seeing something have a new take on it or you know maybe it was too similar or not similar enough or I, I couldn't particularly comment but I just thought that it was an incredibly like well done funny at points body horror kind of extravaganza like they went for it with all the kind of effects and the practical effects and the sort of manipulation of uh, the human body and things. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think um, the the practical effects being at the forefront was critical to the way it was going to be delivered. Yeah. I think it had to be um, because of the nature of the original film. Mm. I think if they would taken a step away from that, which I don't think would, would have lended itself or the film to them anyway. If yeah, they, done that they wanted it's to not do a it. They're very practical in the way that they yeah. deliver a project anyway. But I just thought uh, the story was was great. The way it was delivered was fantastic. Um, mm. For me, there wasn't a lot to criticise. Maybe that was because, you know, we've seen a real kind of scale of films over the course of this weekend. I sometimes think that what you see a film for is what you see around it. Yes. Contrast between some of the films that we'd seen and And this this one was stark. Yeah, this was another one that fell, do you know what I mean, bigger. It fell more. Um, It was a packed house, fully packed house for this which is always going to increase your enjoyment. Yeah, the draw of the Tosca Sisters was was huge um, compared to, say, a Thursday night, opening night at at 8.30, 9 o'clock, whatever the the second film was, Mm. compared to the Tosca Sisters. Just so stark. On Saturday afternoon or Sunday, sorry, Sunday. Sunday Sunday afternoon. Sunday half six. Was just massive. Yeah. You know? Even even the queue to meet them, people were missing the the last film of the weekend. Yeah, because they to were queuing up to meet the Sosca sisters. Yeah, it's fair to see the impact that they've had on the industry. Yeah, as a definitely. Whole. And even they enter uh, doing the Q and A beforehand or the introduction beforehand yeah. to state that they weren't necessarily sure they were going to continue in this. Yeah, there was a moment, I think it was during the Q&A and things, where there was kind of a a confession of having wanted to maybe step away from it, step away from directing, step away from the film industry in general. And then with this film and with the love that it's gotten from the right people, I think that's the thing. There's There's been criticism and there's been this and that, but I think the horror community has really rallied around it and said, no, look at this. Yeah. Um, and I think it was really sincere to hear that from them and things, that they kind of pushed themselves with this one. And it's a remake, which is always scary, but I'd say can't comment too much because I don't know the original book. Oh, they always said they'd never <clears throat> do a remake. Mm. That well, was part of the introduction to yeah. the film. We always said we'd never do this, but I couldn't see anybody else didn't want doing anyone. this project. Yeah. 
if, if anyone was going to do it, they needed to have the love for the original and the love for Cronenberg that they had. So they kind of saw it that way. And I do think that's how a lot of people would see rumor. Like if anyone's going to do this, I'm going to do this right and things. Um, and again, I think maybe a couple of the, the things that have changed is uh, Rose, the lead character and things like that. I think she's given a lot more fleshing out mm. in this. That makes sense. She is a lot more at the forefront. She's quite strong and things like that. She's um, Laura Vandiver. Laura, Laura, who plays her, is absolutely stunning. And they do such a good job of kind of containing that at the beginning and then having this horrendous sort of uh, practical effects makeup used and things in the middle after the accident that looked stunning it was so well done uh, well functional as well it wasn't just like yes. something slapped on the side of your face no this wasn't no halloween costume like this was done right yeah it was evident that a lot of time and effort had gone into it mm. to deliver it something that was realistic i think you've been hypercritical you just said the jawline didn't work out and but it's difficult to say when someone's been hit in the face. Yeah. And destroyed what it would look like afterwards. I think it's that she works. They, they kind of address this whole setting it in the fashion industry and things as well. So I don't think that was part of the original. No. Um, so you work in an industry that is so concerned with your physical appearance. Image the entire time. Everything is about image. And... Uh, to have something as awful as that happen. And it is that kind of thing of, no, it shouldn't be in things. And yes, all of this should be able to be about the internal. But for a female, especially a lot of the time, and for a female in that industry, to have such a kind of disfigurement, but so prominent it's on your face it's not somewhere you can hide it's not something you can cover with makeup you know what I mean like the mouth is just torn um it's got to be so kind of disarming and just really would be life ruining so you kind of get where her decision comes from when she's basically told we can you know Robocop we can rebuild you Mm. um you do it 100% yeah, I think if image is your number one mm. attribute or... or if that's the industry that you work in, industry, yeah. yeah she's not a model, she's, but... She's not making the wrong decision in mm. doing what she's doing, is she? But even just for her happiness and things like that, like just when you see it, 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 it tackles into that a little bit more and brings out a lot more of, I think, female themes of expectations and things like that and then how you handle them so this kind of change within her but that she's still the same person and I just think it was I will have to watch the original but I think a woman's touch to this made a difference in the way that they portrayed it without dialing back on any of the disgusting gross Cronenberg yeah Cronenberg-esque body horror um but I, I just thought that this was really, really enjoyable. Uh, I think it was the longest film we saw, 110 minutes. So it was the longest film we saw at Grimfest. It? it didn't feel like it. Yeah, and yet some of the 80-odd 80, 80 minute ones felt longer to me. This kept the pace going. Um, always love a sneaky little cameo by CM Punk as well. <laughs> I think we, we cameo, was it? Uh, it was a full part. Steve is CM Punk's real name, is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm confidently going with yes while Googling it. But he um, also, I don't know whether I read this, which seems foreign because I don't usually read. <laughs> Who taught you to read? His name is Philip. Philip, that's it. But he wanted to reject it because he never liked the part that he played in this in the original film. I think. Um, Where did they get that? Was that the Q and A? No, I think they did. Q and A, wasn't it? Yeah, they did say something. He wasn't going to reject it. It was more. Um, he wanted to play a different part. There was a different part that they were gonna 
do for him or something like that. I don't know if he was, or it was in a different film possibly, and he was going to play a certain thing, and then he couldn't because of scheduling and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think they got some of their time taken off of them. Um, So when they came at him with this and they were like, oh, you can be in Rabbit. Uh, and I think he was maybe going to be like one of maybe uh, Dominic or something like yeah. the the love interest. Uh, and that then was I, it, yeah. Again, I don't think it worked out. They were like, you can be this guy. He was like, well, this guy's a prick. It's like, yeah, but be in our movie. <laughs> and obviously being such big fans of each other. I mean, uh, clearly the Oscar sisters, Women After My Own Heart, are WWF, <laughs> WWE fans because uh, – See No Evil has Kane um, and Vendetta has Big Show. So now Rabbit has CM Punk. Um, so again, I love a, a little sneaky wrestling ref, reference. Wrestling reference. Damn it, it's getting late. And then lots of little kind of homages and bits of intertextuality thrown in things with other horror films, just showing their love for that genre and that community overall. So I think it was... I I really enjoyed it. And I was maybe almost having my expectations deflated before we went in helped having seen quite a few things online that were kind of crushing it a little bit. I went in kind of going, oh, please, like, I love the, I, I love everything else you've done. Please let this be. And it was. I realized with this one in the uh, excitement of recording it and talking about the Oscars, Obviously, yes, it's a remake of Rabbit, but that doesn't mean that you guys have seen Rabbit either. Um, so the kind of main story is that Rose is uh, a fashion designer. She dreams of kind of making it big time and things like that, but has this terrible accident that leaves her scarred and things. So that's what we were talking about with the effects makeup. And um, she goes radical under she she undergoes radical um untested stem cell research and turns into kind of it rebuilds her her face and things like that but also kind of exemplifies her beauty and things and kind of gives her this difference in confidence um which brings her back into the fashion industry she starts getting success but things start to go off a little bit wrong when she causes a contagion so almost like a zombie rage virus and things so that's kind of the main premise and that's where a lot of the effects come from and a lot of the um kind of fun moments of just people pure raging out and doing crazy things and becoming a little bit gross i i did really really enjoy this and not just because I love them (laughs) I actually genuinely was so scared that it was gonna not be great and I'd have to be really sad about it but it was just a really fun movie watching experience I thought. No I agree it certainly didn't feel like the runtime that it's apparently is which I had no idea it was that long but it, it was comfortable all the way through and uh very enjoyable in part yeah. The visual effects, practical effects, all of the were, above, yeah, were very fantastic. Really enjoyed seeing those all around. It was uh, a very good film. Twisted, good fun. Twisted, good fun. So this is available on Blu-ray, DVD, and VOD as of now. So you can uh, rent it, catch it wherever, and I really do recommend doing so. If you haven't seen the original, I I think maybe just give this a go on its own merits and things like that as well um, and see what you think. But this got a four from me. I think it got a four from me. It did. It got fours from both of us. I think I can't really explain why not a five. I think maybe almost an inner turmoil of are you just fangirling so much? But I just think it was it was solid. There were bits that maybe could have been more and things. Um, it wasn't perfect to the levels of some of like to some of the others we saw. But it's also a very different film. But a, a, a very very strong four from me. I really enjoyed it. I know you don't like me putting decimals, but you know four point five <laughs> ruined it. Mm. But yes, as we kind of mentioned earlier. 
this was followed by the signing. So I had uh, got a rabid post, bought a rabid poster for the Soskas to sign and also brought my issue number one of their Black Widow kind of run and things, which I really loved as well. Just a five issue kind of short run, but I'd love to see them do some more comic books, especially aiming at those kind of female characters. Uh, but they signed both of them for me. They were very lovely and uh, very sweet to a very nervous me who does not do well with the whole talking to people who are both celebrities and that I admire. (laughs) Um, But they were so calming and so lovely and they had time for everyone. They must have been there forever. They certainly seem like they were going to be there forever. I it was a long-ass queue. <laughs> whilst everybody else was queuing, I yeah. escaped and saw the short film Loom, which was a 25-minute short. 32. 32-minute short. So, yeah, I, 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 I kind of really liked the look of Loom, but I also, you know, had to meet the Soskis. Well, mixed, mixed priorities. So Loom, yes. Loom was or is, rather, mm. a film that's set in the 70s? 1978. Yeah. 70s, early 80s kind of vibe to it. Um, the director stated that it was very much reminiscent of kind of holiday shorts, mm. um, holiday season kind of films that were coming out around that era that he was familiar with. Um, I can certainly see that. It was definitely very low-fi, low-budget, but high deliverables as well, I think. To achieve the aesthetic that he wanted to achieve with um, the kind of impact that it had, I think was a real, real uh, achievement overall. I was tempted to buy the VHS copy of this film. Oh, I forgot, yeah. Albeit we do not own a VHS player. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. I think it's more just the nostalgia. Uh, it certainly felt like a film that should have been played on VHS and not through the quality of it at, at all. The quality held up on a uh, on a large screen in a cinema, so it's certainly going to hold up on a VHS on a small screen at home, <laughs> yeah. CRT TV. I just enjoyed it. It, it was scary where it needs to be scary suspenseful where it needs to be suspenseful and a little bit funny in parts as well um albeit not not overly humorous uh on the kind of dark comedy scale so for me i would rate it if i had to and we don't have to because it's not part of the no no film rating system it's not part of the audience awards it's a short isn't it short film but I'd rated it a four. I think yeah. it was a fantastic little introduction into what is the final film of the weekend. I think that's one that we definitely check again and again and again until we find it. it's been released somewhere, like yeah. some of the other shorts. And I think it, it, from what you've said, it's a director to keep an eye on for that kind of his aesthetic and the nostalgia that he managed to bring to it. Director and lead actor, so we've got another Pollyanna McIntosh yeah, on our. <laughs> so I really, I am, I am sad I missed it because I, I was looking forward to that one, but mm-hmm. I'm also happy with what I did with my time. Um, but yeah, we should, we need to keep an eye out for that one. I think it's, uh, I think that's one of the longest. It was the longest, longest short. short of the thing. So. Hopefully, it's a name that we'll see coming up at Grimfest in a year, two years, maybe. Give them, give them some time. I hear these yeah, the feature films take a while to make, <laughs> if he doesn't write. Um, but then that, yeah, that was the um, kind of introductory short film screening to our last film of the night. So we and did it. And of the weekend. We did it. We actually managed to see a late night film. <laughs> we managed to stay till the last film of the night. And it was nine o'clock's um, northern premiere of Little Monsters. And this is one that I think has done quite well um, 
on the festival circuit and is definitely this this seemed to be their their mainstream spot sort of thing like this this is definitely one that you can see actually having a cinematic release like it doesn't feel festivaly it feels bigger than that yeah, I, I think i think the sunday afternoon generally felt like that by yeah, comparison true. to the rest of the week things like rabid and little monsters yeah. and things it was quite ones that you could definitely see being general release instead of just festival release. Even Harpoon to an extent, I think, Yeah, as well. and I see you, yeah. Yeah. True. I, yeah, I think the whole Sunday of Sunday was a heavy day. really carried a little bit more weight throughout. Yeah. Um, then the other, the other days had a little bit more of a, a sleeper hit type vibe to it, whereas Sunday had more of that kind of... I say blockbuster very loosely. More mainstream. Mainstream. Yeah. yeah. But Little Monsters is oh, such a sweet and funny kind of concept of um, a kind of washed up musician, um, Dave, who after breaking up with, well, after being broken up with by his girlfriend, ends up moving in with his sister and kind of looking after his nephew. And when he spots that his nephew's kindergarten teacher, uh, Miss Caroline, is a bit fit, he decides to volunteer to go on there, outing to a a zoo kind zoo. of thing. Yeah, like a petting zoo together. Very um, ornate and fancy petting zoo. Very fancy petting zoo. petting zoo. So he goes on this trip uh, with his nephew, Felix, and Miss Caroline. And it turns out that the kids kind of... Favorite entertainer Teddy McGiggles. Who's in something? Josh Gad. Uh, Josh Gad. Yeah, yeah. Josh Gad. He is. is in a lot of things. Yeah. I did at one point. I think get him a little bit confused. So he is Olaf, the voice of Olaf in Frozen. He's in Pixels. Pixels, that's it. He's in Pixels. Love that um, I think at one point I got him confused with, uh, is it Patton Oswald? Similar sounding voice. Yeah, there was a moment where I'm like, he sounded like Happy from, <laughs> sounded like the unicorn, and that's obviously uh, Patton Oswald, but this is Josh Gad, so little bit different he's Olaf the voice of Olaf from Frozen and obviously in Pixels and things uh so he is Teddy McGiggle uh there's a couple of so Lupita Ungoyo uh is Miss Caroline so obviously she's come at us with like uh us and things like that as well very different role here she is literally wearing a yellow dress throughout and she might as well just be sunshine embodied she is the kindergarten teacher that every kid would want you know she yeah. rocks a mean uke and sings Tay Tay songs <laughs> um, so they're on this little trip and Teddy McGiggle is there and then the last thing you expect to happen on a nice friendly little children's outing is a zombie outbreak so they've kind of got to navigate this petting zoo full of zombies with a bunch of kids trying to explain to them that it's just a funny game of tag and don't worry and don't let them tag you yes that's the one rule don't let them tag you um but i i did i'm glad that we got to see this i'm glad we stuck around and things it was very very funny and very upbeat very bright for a horror film Mm, extremely bright Mm. not as bright as midsummer no, not quite as purposefully bright as Midsummer, uh, but I think it was just such a again kind of a fun concept and uh, really comedy driven in a lot of it. So of course the character of like Teddy McGiggle turns out to be an alcoholic asshole, uh, properly playing into those kind of yeah. alternates of a child entertainer just being the worst person in the world. Yeah, where have you seen that trope recently? Is that in Happy as well? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the children's yeah. entertainer who is just awful. Sonny Shine. Oh, yeah. yes. Sonny Shine. Similar kind of. Yeah. 
under the facade of the yeah. makeup and the giggly voice, they're actually just dicks. Yeah. Obviously, they've got to protect these kids and things, and there's some fun little, you know, how do you kill this zombie and what hurts them and stuff like that. But I think in a in a landscape of horror now where the zombie trope has played out slightly or the kind of zomcom has become a little bit tried there is an element of that to this where it's like okay haha very funny and then yeah it's just another zombie comedy but i think it's the performances and the kind of very cute element of it that i really enjoyed it's the normalization of it isn't it for Mm. the kids and the mechanism for building the relationships i think makes makes it a little bit different yeah and there is like a good character arc and redemption-y sort of arc to these people. And there's some really fun gore bits and some really fun kind of um, zombie deaths or zombie reactions to things. And I think including kind of the children and things like the kids, this full class of young actors are amazing to get them all to do everything in the way they do and be so funny and things like that. Like that's a, that's a big credit to the director who decided not only shall I work with children, I shall work with 15 children. Like, yeah, go for it. At no point did it feel forced. I think no. every single one of them did a great job. Yeah. That. I don't mean I could do that. Well, that's I what I mean. I do that now. <laughs> you're barely paying attention as it is <laughs> but I think this was it was very funny very sweet and as I say cute little musical interludes and things like that and just putting people in ridiculous predicaments um, I, I really liked ending the festival on this one but yeah without kind of spoiling bits of it and things like that I thought it was enjoyable and definitely kind of easy watching easy horror watching certainly was certainly was a great way to end a sunday night great way to end the festival damn straight so this is on hulu already in the us i believe and is set for a uk release on the 15th of november and i gave this a four i think i gave it a four as well you did yeah. You also gave it a four. So fours across the board for this one. Like I say, maybe the Zomcom is getting a little bit old hat and we're just kind of getting bored of it or something like that. But I think it did some good things with it and made some original choices. So I very much enjoyed it. And that was our Grimfest. It certainly was. That was Grimfest. Four days of fun. Yeah. A complete lack of sleep, albeit oh, it probably God. didn't sound like it compared to Yeah, we mentioned sleep a lot considering how little of it <laughs> we ended up getting. And we discussed in, I think, the first episode that they'd not given the awards out yet. And this happened a couple of days ago. So we got the awards announcements. The Horror Channel Achievement in Horror Award was handed out on the night and that went to uh jen and sylvia soska so the soska sisters got that one the best feature went to why don't you just die which one was that we did not see that one but a special mention went out to extraordinary which is good because that was amazing uh, the best director went to Kirill Sokolov, who was the director of Why Don't You Just Die, with a special mention to Rob Grant, the director of Harpoon. Okay, that makes sense. Best screenplay went to Harpoon. Okay. Yeah, which I think is really on point. Uh, with a special mention to A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Yeah. Mm. Uh, best cinematography. We're two for two on not knowing this. So the winner was four by four, the one in the car. Okay, yeah. Which I can get, I think. Um, And the special mention was why don't you just die? So why don't you just die is pretty much nailing it. Um, Best score went to Arctic. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Best actor went to Peter Lanzani for four by four. 
Okay. Well, that makes sense given the restrictions. Yeah. Best actress went to Maeve Higgins from Extraordinary. Yeah. Well and so deserved. Best uh, SFX went to Why Don't You Just Die? Best kill went to another one we didn't see, Satanic Panic. Best scare went to the wretched. There seems to be a link. We have a we have yeah. missed. <laughs> Stop putting them on at the end of the day. <laughs> um, and best short went to Limbo, the Spanish loop one that I discussed. That oh I quite liked. my god! Yeah, because that made no sense. Headspin. Yeah, no sense. But the best one, the one that was. Called entirely by our lovely associate (laughs) at Grimfest, our our drinking buddy for the weekend. The audience award went to Extraordinary. Yeah, deservedly so. Oh, it deserved it so much. I seriously really adored that film. I think the ones, it's hard to to pin it down and things like that, but I think the ones that I'll keep talking about and telling people about the most are definitely um, Tales from the Lodge, Extraordinary, Extraordinary, uh, Darling and Rabbit. I think... Little monsters, I think, to an extent as well. Mm. But then I also think on rewatchability, I think I'd rather like almost on what would I have on the shelf and what would I rewatch. Something like Harpoon would probably be more like Little Monsters is fun, and it's maybe that it becomes that background film, doesn't it? Because you can just have it on. But I think there was some others that hit the horror nail on the head a bit more. Yeah. But that is. We've wrapped. We're done. We're going to have to think of some new concepts now. We're we're grimfested out. Oh no! Oh, no. Mm-hmm. But once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our three-part review of Grimfest. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're no, we've only just started, but I have a holiday, so we're going to take a mild break, uh, thinking maybe fortnightly for this. Um, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. If you want to check out any of the other materials and things we put out, so reviews and think pieces and things like that, um, you can always visit us at bombshellsandblueshells.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, you can find us on anchor podbean and spotify right now uh so please do uh kind of put a little notification on us and things and if you want to chat to me you can get me at be blue shells on twitter or at facebook and instagram at bombshells and blue shells how about you where can we find you either on twitter or instagram at 32 bit fives Aces. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Easy, easy time. <laughs> and on that super sleepy note, we're gonna get going. Thank you again for listening. Um, you. We'll talk to you soon. Good night. Bye.